0: You're listening to Everyday Parents, a day in the life podcast.
1: We share the everyday routines of parents from all kinds of families. Our episodes start with getting to know each guest's family, then go through their daily routine and wrap up with some reflective questions about parenting.
0: I'm Jerome Cluck, a stay-at-home dad to our daughter, Charlie, and half of your hosting team.
1: And I'm Caitlin Kirby, Jerome's wife, Charlie's mom, and your podcast co-host. On today's episode, we are joined by Carter who is the host of the Touched Out podcast, which explores the journey of parenthood and its impacts on mental health. It is an open and judgment-free space where Carter has honest conversations about the challenges of being a parent. You can find it pretty much everywhere you get your podcasts, and we will link to it in the show notes. Carter is a parent to three children that he shares with his wife, ranging in age from eight months old to nearly four years old. Welcome, Carter. Please tell us a little bit about your family.
2: Uh, So I'm Carter. I'm 36 as of uh, three days ago. Uh, I'm married. I've been married to my wife for five years, together for six years. We have three children. Uh, My firstborn daughter, uh, she turns four in two days. I've got a two-year-old son uh, and an eight-month-old baby girl.
1: It's been a busy six years for you and your wife.
2: It certainly has. Yeah, we, uh, we definitely don't half-ass anything.
1: Is there anything significant you want to share about your wife's pregnancy and birth?
2: All three pregnancies were vastly different, uh, but equally traumatic. Hendrix, my firstborn, uh, she was an induction baby. Um, she was My wife was induced April 3rd uh, due to preeclampsia and an interuterine growth restriction. Uh, So she was administered the Cervidil gel after 48 hours uh, of being dilated only one centimetre. A balloon catheter was put in uh, 12 hours after that. She only got to two centimetres. They then broke her waters. Uh, She laboured for 17 hours uh, and there were several failed epidural inserts. Uh, She pushed for two hours and... Hendrix was a shoulder dystocia baby. She was born blue and the cord was wrapped around her neck twice, so she was born unresponsive. The doctors performed tactile stimulation um, to resuscitate. Uh, all the while, my wife had a postpartum hemorrhage of one liter, uh, so my first um, dip in the fatherhood pond was you know, watching my baby being brought back to life and watching my wife potentially dying. So yeah, it was a it was a, a pretty pretty hectic experience. Uh but obviously both baby and mum came out of it all right in the end, luckily. There was no lasting damage. Yeah, that's the first pregnancy, that's the first Ow. birth.
1: I just realized I was like holding my breath that whole time.
2: <laughs> yeah, so um strap in cuz there's still a fair bit to go. <laughs> um so Roman, my son, my wife was placed on weekly monitoring for preeclampsia again. Uh she was essentially bullied into an induction um by the pediatricians oh no sorry i'm not sure what they're called i can't remember uh anyway she went in for an induction uh because they listed roman as a macrosomic baby so he was apparently too big for my wife to be able to birth naturally the induction began at 7 a.m on the 25th of august Uh, she labored with gas and air Uh, she tried her best at hypnobirthing Uh, until 11 p.m. She was still only dilated four centimetres. An epidural was given at 11.30, and she was given two more hours to labour. After that, there was no further dilation, and uh, his head didn't descend at all. She was taken for an emergency C-section, and Roman was born at 3.20 a.m., uh, weighing 4.17 kilos. Everything seemed fine. Uh, My wife did hemorrhage again, uh, but not as bad as uh, the first one. I went home after that to get some sleep because it seemed that, you know, everything had calmed down. Everything was all good. Baby was healthy. Mum was healthy. Uh, I woke up several hours later to a frantic voicemail. Uh, Roman had vomited green at 8 a.m. He was then rushed to NICU. Uh, there was a test done called a barium contrast, and it confirmed that he had a mid-gut malrotation. From there, he was transferred from our hospital, um, which was located in Sunshine in Melbourne. Um, he was transported to the children's, uh, the Royal Children's in Melbourne CBD via a Piper ambulance. What did he have? He had a mid-gut malrotation, so I'll, I'll get into that further so basically he he had a twisted bowel and the vomiting of green meant that there was a blockage uh and he had to undergo emergency surgery at 16 hours old so basically they made an incision in his abdomen they pulled out all of his insides uh and rearranged them they had to check to make sure that his bowel was still alive uh, and that there wasn't any kind of damage from the twist in it. Uh, A lot of the time there's some damage and uh, a lot of Melrose babies end up with a stoma and a colostomy bag for life due to that. Uh, And then because of the length of time that the bowel was twisted, it's actually cut off blood circulation and the bowel's no longer viable, uh, which means essentially baby will pass away can't survive without a bowel. So we are—we uh, were one of the very, very lucky ones in which his bowel was completely viable. They rearranged his insides essentially, um, untwisted the bowel, and they removed his ap- uh, appendix uh, because when they, with Melrose Babies, essentially the reason for it happening is when they're forming during like early gestation, his ins- his intestines, didn't form in the correct order. So usually there's a a certain order that they form in, which ensures that all of the different organs get anchored together and stay in place. Uh, Whereas it didn't quite happen that way. So when they perform what's called a LADS, LADS procedure, they have to remove the appendix because that's where they need to put the bowel to anchor it in correctly. Uh, so if there's any further complications when he's an adult uh, and he presents at hospital for whatever reason saying I'm, you know I've got some I've got pain in, in my lower abdomen, blah 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 blah. A lot of the time they would think it's appendicitis, so they just remove the appendix from there to avoid misdiagnosis and further complications. Little Roman uh, spent two weeks in uh, the NICU. We weren't allowed to hold him for the first three days of his life and we weren't allowed to feed him for the first week Uh, so he had a lot of cords coming out of him and it was it was very scary very upsetting to see uh he is now great he's happy and healthy it doesn't seem that there's any lasting issues Uh, he has been diagnosed on the spectrum i don't know if it's due to uh, his condition Uh, We're a part of a couple of different support groups and it seems to be somewhat of a recurring theme, um, but there's not enough study done to show any kind of correlation. So that's the second one. And the third one, Salem, my baby, eight months old. Because of the first two pregnancies, my wife was uh, asked to come in for daily monitoring at Bendigo Hospital, which is an hour drive from us. Uh, so that was a, a big task in itself. But my wife was really hell-bent on having a VBAC, vaginal birth after cesarean, you know, after we found that the first two births was a lot of... There was a lot of doctors that didn't really give us the inf- information that we needed to be able to make uh, an informed, consensual decision and uh, figure out what was best for us. So she was quite prepared to do the the VBAC. Uh, so she went to... No, sorry, I'll, I'll rewind. So she was asked for daily daily monitoring after 42 weeks. Um, they had said that uh, Salem was a macrosomic baby again. Uh, she had daily stretch and sweeps. She began labor at 42 weeks and four days. Uh, she got to seven centimeters without an epidural. And then her blood pressure spiked at 190 over 100. Her heart rate spiked at 170 BPM. And Salem's uh, heart rate dropped to 90 beats per minute. Uh, She was then taken for an emergency C-section. The epidural was taken out and she had three failed spinals. Uh, So essentially they put the spinals in and, you know, did the ice pack test. And she's like, I can still feel that. And they're like, haha, you're lying. And then they were like, can you kick your legs up? And she kicked her legs up each time. So we had a room full of doctors uh, just looking around at each other, absolutely puzzled, which doesn't instill a whole bunch of confidence. Um, So then uh, I got a tap on the shoulder saying, we're going to have to put your wife to sleep for this C-section, so you're going to have to come with us. I gave her a kiss goodbye, told her I loved her, and I was taken up to the birth ward. Salem was born at 12.30 a.m. on the 20th of July at 43 weeks, 4.45 kilos, During the C-section, Salem was so big that uh, when she was lifted out of my wife's pelvis, she tore my wife's uterus in half. Uh, She tore through a uterine artery and my wife lost 2.6 litres of blood in a matter of 60 seconds. She was about 90 seconds off needing a complete hysterectomy due to the damage caused. So I was in the birth ward by myself for around three and a half to four hours before I heard anything about the state of my wife or my baby. Um, I was told originally that the operation should take around 45 minutes. So it was, uh, it was the longest couple of hours of my life. I catastrophize everything. So, you know, that three hours was me just being like, I'm going to have to go home to my two children and explain to them that my wife and baby are dead. But then I heard, uh, rolling down the hallway and some baby crying. And I just knew that that was my baby. So she got rolled into me and I was crying and snotting all over the nurse. And uh, then I was like, you know, how's my wife? And she said, she's still in surgery. There has been some complications. I, I don't know exactly what has happened, but uh, the surgeon will come up shortly and kind of go through what happened with you. So that was, Salem was born at 12.30 a.m. Around yeah, three and a half, four hours later, I met Salem and then about an hour after that, uh, we were able to go to my wife in recovery so my baby was five eight five hours old before my wife was able to meet her uh, she needed three blood transfusions and two iron infusions and she was then told that she was never allowed to attempt natural birth again
1: yeah your kids really know how to make an entrance
2: yeah yep yeah don't i know it <laughs> so yeah it was uh it was three very different births but vastly uh, traumatic for different reasons for each of them, but they're all here and they're all happy and healthy now.
1: Sorry that you had to go through it and glad that they're here and healthy. Yeah. So is it just you, your wife and your kids in your household?
2: Yes. No pets. No, I uh, I have to clean up enough poop as it is.
1: And where do you all live?
2: Uh, we live in Lancefield, Victoria. So we're about an hour and, hour and 20 minutes out of Melbourne.
1: And that's Australia for our less geographically inclined listeners.
2: (laughs) Yeah, if you couldn't tell by the accent, yes.
1: (laughs) Uh, What do you and your wife do for work?
2: Uh, So I work uh, at a youth justice facility. You would probably know it as a uh, juvenile detention centre. We try to call it something a little bit softer here to make it sound less horrible. Uh, So I am... Sorry, I'm not a correctional officer. Uh, My official job title is youth justice worker. I've been in that position for four years now, one of which I spent day shift uh, until I got assaulted, uh, breaking up a fight. Uh, From there, I moved to night shift. I've been on night shift for just shy of three years now. And my wife, uh, she works two jobs currently. So she is um, international client liaison for a online wholesale art store. And she also is uh, working front of house and um, bar work at a local brewery that's just opened a few months ago.
1: So where do your kids spend their days?
2: Uh, So it depends because my shifts, uh, they are a little different. Uh, So I work a seven day fortnight. So I'll have one week where I work five days. So it'll be a Monday, Tuesday, and then Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And then the week after that, I work Wednesday, Thursday. The days that I'm not working, they'll either be home with me or generally they will go to daycare if I need to have a little bit more sleep. Yeah, so it's either daycare or with me during the day. And when I'm working, weekends, my wife will have them on the weekends. But yeah, it's a lot of tag teaming and a lot of kind of preparation to make sure we know what's going on and everything like that.
1: Yeah, it sounds like, a lot of moving pieces. So what does your support network look like? Who are some of your biggest supporters and how often do you see them?
2: Uh, By and large, it's just my wife and me. I have like one friend uh, who unfortunately lives in Sydney. He works in uh, the film industry. Uh, So Sydney from here is around about a 10 hour drive. Uh, I get to see him maybe once or twice a year if I'm lucky but for the most part, he's very, very busy doing uh, special effects makeup and prop design for Marvel and Disney and horror movies and all of that sort of thing. So I'm a massive supporter of him. We we talk pretty much every day on Facebook and Instagram and whatnot. Uh, so he is a pretty constant part of my life, even though I can't see him in person. Otherwise, um, my wife's parents live in a town called Kilmore, which is around 20 minutes from here. And then like her siblings live... Kind of scattered throughout the area as well if we're in a pickle we need
0: like emergency help we've generally got someone that's able to come and help us out okay so when you were awaiting the birth of salem i was wondering where the older two kids they would have been with her family then
2: yeah so they were with my wife's sister her older sister yeah um and she's she's she was great throughout all of the births um Hendrix my oldest stayed with her for pretty much that entire 2 weeks when uh Roman was in the NICU because that was at the beginning of biggest covid lockdown oh my god the longest right. co- the longest covid lockdown in the world so um you know Victoria my state holds that record so there was a lot of moving pieces with that as well uh, we were luckily able to stay at the Ronald McDonald House, which is just down the road from uh, the Royal Children's Hospital. However, because of the COVID restrictions and lockdowns, we weren't allowed to have Salem with us. Uh, sorry, not Salem, Hendricks. Uh, so Hendricks had to stay with my sister-in-law. I wasn't allowed to be in the hospital with my wife So we weren't allowed to be there at the same time. It was only one parent or guardian at a time. So for the first two weeks of Roman's life, my wife and I weren't allowed to spend any time together with him. Uh, And she was recovering from the surgery and they still would make her leave the hospital and go sit in the car park in the car for me to be able to come in and visit my son. So it uh, it was a very, very daunting and emotionally draining journey. And then when I was done visiting him. I would either drive my wife back to the Ronald McDonald house cause she couldn't walk the 500 or so meters to get back there. And then I would drive at about an hour and 10 minutes home to pick up my daughter and spend the
0: night with her. And then we'd just kind of wash, rinse, repeat and do it all over again the next day. All of these births were, they seem both mentally and physically scarring. Um, it seems incredibly courageous to after the complications faced with one to then have another and then you said for the third one she was dead set on uh, vaginal birth after cesarean section that just strikes me as something that takes a lot of courage to undertake you know you're hell or high water you're like we're going to have another kid was there any like what what did that discussion look like uh, i guess deciding that you did you always know you wanted to have this many kids or were you at all deterred by
2: when I uh when my wife and I first uh, started dating, we had that conversation. Um I never pictured myself as a father. Uh At the time we started dating, I was still a little selfish and still enjoyed, you know, going out drinking and partying with friends and whatnot. It wasn't even a year that we were together before I'd proposed to her. And it was less than a year after that that we were getting married, and she was like a couple of weeks off having Hendrix. So it was it was it was literally a matter of uh, just meeting the right person, you know. Once once we had that discussion, we actually had that discussion on our first ever holiday uh, in Bali, Indonesia. Uh, we had been drinking at a poolside bar, and she looked me in the eyes and was like, "I." really really want to have kids with you and I was like get out you know you, but you've had too many express, <laughs> espresso martinis you know uh, but then we had a, a sober yet hungover conversation the next day and she said I'm serious I'm serious you know I love you I want to spend the rest of my life with you and I want to have a family with you and from there you know I was just like okay well I am terrified that I'm not going to be a great father, but let's give it a red hot crack. And uh, turns out I was a natural and uh, those kids are my absolute life. And uh, pretty much every waking moment's devoted to them and my wife. We had originally planned on four, even after the traumatic births and stuff, there was never kind of any like, oh, maybe we should stop at one, maybe we should stop at two. After the third, however, we, we're still coming to terms with the fact that we might not have a fourth, uh, but I'm still not allowed to book in a, uh, a snip snip. So so if, if the fourth that. happens, the, it might be a little bit of a whoopsie baby and not planned, but um, yeah, I think we'll, we'll just see what happens. At the moment, there's no plans for a fourth.
1: Is there anything else that you want to share about your background or your family?
2: Yeah, so just to kind of delve in, really quickly because this is your podcast but i too have started a podcast um called the touched out podcast uh so after the birth of my third i found that uh being outnumbered by these little creatures um was causing me a lot of mental health issues i was having breakdowns quite constantly i had i was diagnosed with postpartum depression for all three of them but After Salem, it was especially hard. So I began therapy and got booked in with a psychiatrist. And I was then diagnosed around about 8 to 12 months ago with ADHD and autism. Uh, So having the three kids uh, overflowed uh, my bucket of being able to cope and handle. And uh, from there, it ended up with me being uh, ADHD and autistic. So the last however long since diagnosis has been a massive journey in mental health for me Uh, i'm still learning things about myself every day and uh, the podcast that i have just started is a massive part in that journey uh and you know every day i'm trying to learn from uh this massive community that i'm trying to create and, uh, and yeah, it's super, super rewarding and super fulfilling. Um, and I feel like when I first started getting into it, there was hundreds and hundreds of parenting podcasts and then there was hundreds and hundreds of mental health podcasts, but I couldn't really find a specific podcast where the two topics intersect, uh, especially fronted by a male Uh, So it's something that's super, super underrepresented in the world. I never thought of myself as an advocate or a leader in in that regard, but I felt that my journey is something that needed to be talked about and I was comfortable talking about it. So I just decided to put my hand up and here we are. My first uh, first episode released seven days ago. It's had great reception so far and I'm just going to keep on keeping on and see where it leads me.
1: Yeah, along those lines of like the advocacy piece, I mean, to what level did you have to advocate for yourself with the postpartum depression diagnoses? Because at least in the US, there's like zero screening of that for the fathers.
2: Yeah, so it starts off with, I'm not sure on how it works over there, but um, post birth, we have what's called a maternal child health nurse who uh, visits uh, our house to check up on baby so check on uh, weight and you know latch for breastfeeding and a whole kind of range of different tests that they do to make sure that baby is thriving and to make sure that our house is livable and baby's not being abused or neglected and uh you know my wife and myself are doing okay mentally so we had a honest discussion with her where i said i'm i'm not doing very well at all um, from there, I was referred to an organization called PANDA. Excuse me. I'm not too sure on what PANDA stands for off the top of my head. It's like Post Postnatal Anxiety and Depression Association, I believe. And they're massive, uh, massive advocates for uh, both men's and women's mental health in the postpartum stages. I believe it's up to the first 12 months of um Becoming parents, I didn't end up using that service because I do have access to free clinical help through my work, uh, so I utilised that. I ended up finding that the psychologist that I go see at work, uh, we just gelled and clicked immediately. We had a lot of the same life experiences, uh, quite similar uh, scenarios in growing up, and you know, childhood trauma and all of that, which I won't get into. So she was able to really, really, really help me in filling my own personal tool bag, having resources available to me to get me through my day to day um, to make sure that my mental health stayed in check. So I credit her to a a massive part of uh, me healing from postpartum depression and uh, the journey that I'm currently on today and probably always will be.
1: Last question before we get into the daily routine. You mentioned that um, your son, Roman, also had a mental health diagnosis.
2: Yes. So Roman was diagnosed uh, ASD.
1: So that's autism spectrum disorder. Autism
2: spectrum disorder. Yes. Uh, So we found that he had a lot of markers. There was uh, a lot of toe stepping, a lot of hand flapping. His uh, speech was quite delayed and he was getting overstimulated and having Tantrums a lot easier than the other kids that that we've experienced. We got him screened, and uh, it came back yeah positive for that. Since then, we had him in um, OT occupational therapy every fortnight, um, which is with animals as well. Uh, so he gets to go to a special little farm um, and pat so many different types of animals to get him used to you know different sensory inputs, sight, smells different textures things like that so you know like birds have feathers and pigs have wiry hair and horses have this and yeah so it's it's really really great uh they're called pause on film it's something that i take him to every fortnight and uh, it's a great bonding time for me and him he's been in that for eight weeks now his speech has improved tenfold in the time that he's been there his sensory meltdowns have gotten a little bit better but yeah yeah, it it seems like he's pretty pretty on track to uh I wouldn't say becoming a normal uh kid because you know every kid's different, but he's becoming his the best version of himself.
1: Sounds like your days vary quite a bit, but on kind of a typical day where you're hanging out with the kids, uh, let's hear what happens. What what time do you get up and what happens first?
2: Uh so on days where I'm not on shift and I do have the kids, uh, my day generally starts around six AM when my oldest comes in to wake me up to tell me that she's not tired anymore it will either then go between me saying go jump back into bed and read some books uh for a little while while i have a little bit more of a snooze uh but then my youngest salem will wake up shortly after so i'll jump up get them changed fight with my daughter about the clothes that she's going to wear for the day uh give salem a bottle uh hendrix is such a, uh, self-sufficient three-year-old. So she gets her own breakfast. Now, uh, she'll get herself dressed in the mornings while I'm giving Salem a bottle. Roman will generally wake up. He's usually the latest up. So he'll come out and saying, I'm awake, I'm awake. And then demand to watch, uh, any number of shows based on dinosaurs or trains. So he'll have his breakfast while we've got his shows on. Uh, admittedly, we do allow, the kids to watch a little bit more screen time than we should being that I too have uh, autism, I can get a little bit sensory with um, too much stimulation as far as sound and things like that go. So for us to keep everyone's emotions kind of baseline and in check, we allow a little bit more TV than, you know, the, the professionals would recommend. So from breakfast they'll generally yeah watch a little bit of tv we've got a what was my theater room is now a toy room it belongs to them they'll go in there and trash that uh, and have a grand old time wrestling each other until one of them ends up getting hurt and come crying to me Uh, my wife in that time will get up she'll make herself some breakfast she'll make me a coffee she's the one that makes the good coffees in the house so i wait for her to get up to do that after that, we'll, you know, play outside. We've got a pretty nice big backyard with a trampoline and cubby houses and slides and stuff to keep them entertained.
1: Is the eight-month-old kind of like happy to be kind of set on her own and kind of watch or does she like to be with a parent most of the time? Uh,
2: it depends on the day. It does, it does change uh, from day to day. Sometimes she's teething at the moment, so she prefers to be held, but she's she's great she's a great tempered little baby she's very very smiley there's very minimal effort to keep her entertained Uh, we have a bouncer we have like a jolly jumper we have an exosaucer that she gets to stand in and bob up and down on and a whole heap of toys and if uh, she starts getting grumpy my eldest Hendrix will generally jump in and redirect her and get in her face they're all very very loving loving siblings you know they all hug and kiss each other. And it's, uh, it's, it's really great to see, you know, any, any time where I'm feeling like, uh, I'm not stepping up to the plate and being a good enough parent. It doesn't take me long to realize that we're doing all right. As far as the kids go, there's a lot of love in the house.
1: So yeah. Uh, in the mornings after your wife gets up, do some outside time and then what?
2: Uh, so she'll generally go to work on the days that I'm home with the kids. Um, Yet again, it's like the tag team. Uh, She works when I'm not and I work when she's not. We'll come inside. I'll make some lunch. And then baby is generally asleep by around 10.30 and Roman goes down for his midday nap. My daughter, Hendrix, refuses to have her midday nap now. uh, So she has rests on the couch uh, where she generally chooses between three movies. Willy Wonka, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory or James and the Giant Peach are her rotations at the moment. And then we'll spend the next hour and a half of her arguing that she wants something else on. (laughs) Roman will wake up around about two o'clock. Salem will, will have been up and had some lunch. She's just started on solids a couple of, about two months ago. So we're doing like baby led weaning with that, which is good fun. She's only had two instances where I've had to intervene and uh smack her on the back a few times to get the food up
1: (laughs) baby led weaning is larger pieces of food usually
2: yeah it's essentially everything that we would eat um but just appropriate sized bites for her so yeah it takes it takes a little while for her to understand the swallowing mechanism and whatnot so there's been a few instances where food has gotten stuck the most important thing with baby led weaning is if they're red in the face they're okay and if they're blue in the face is when you intervene. So we've had two instances of uh, a little bit of blue in the lips.
0: Yeah. Cause you can, you can control the size of what you're giving them, but you can't always control how much of that they're cramming into their face.
2: Exactly. Right. Yep. Uh, but yeah, I'm luckily trained in uh, resuscitation and CPR and all of that stuff. So we've, we haven't had uh, too much of a, an emergency yet. <laughs> uh, so after Roman's woken up, it'll just be yeah, general playing around the house. We don't, tend to leave the house too much uh we've got everything we need here we're quite self-sufficient as far as entertainment and things like that go i'll have a play with the kids and wrestle around with them and then by the time all of that's done it's you know 4 o'clock it's time to start dinner it depends on what shift my wife's working that day whether she's working at both jobs or not she'll either come home around dinner time we'll all eat dinner together and then start the nightly process of you know bath brush teeth, get them in their jammies and get them into bed. Uh, or if she's working, she'll generally work until 10.30, 11-ish. So all of that's kind of left up to me. So I'll make dinner. We'll get everyone fed. I'll let uh, the two older ones muck around a bit while I uh, give Salem her end-of-night bottle and put her to sleep. So she'll go down around about 7 o'clock and then I'll get the kid the other two ready for bed. They're generally in bed by 7.30, 8-ish at the absolute latest. Uh, they go feral after eight. It's kind of like gremlins.
1: Do they have any specific nighttime routine, bedtime routine?
2: Bluey. We watch Bluey in this house. That's uh, Turtle Boy is the episode that they choose most of the time to watch before bed. I'll Once I've got Salem down, I'll go out into the theater room and I'll sit on the couch and they'll come sit up with me and snuggle into me. We'll watch that together. I might read them a book. They have a couple of different books that they like to read before bed, so it's... They're all by the same author. I can't remember exactly the name. It's like 10 Little Dinosaurs or 10 Little Unicorns or 10 Little Pirates, things like that. They're just like rhyming books. They're good fun. Um, And Roman likes that kind of regiment and structure anyway. He doesn't like to kind of stray from his routine too much. I think that overwhelms him just as much as it overwhelms me when something changes without any warning. So by then, yeah, we get their teeth are brushed. uh, They're in their jammies. I put them in bed, I fill up their bottles, turn on their cameras, make sure that they've got their white noise sounds going so they can sleep.
1: Do any of them share rooms?
2: No, no. We, uh, we went on a holiday at the end of last year uh, for New Year's and uh, Roman and Hendrix shared a room and never again, never again. They didn't go to sleep until about 2 a.m. Because they were just mucking around with each other the whole time. <laughs> they can't help each other. They can't help themselves and they can't help each other. They're both <laughs> little instigators.
1: And then um, how is Salem sleeping at night right now?
2: She's a lot better. Uh, the first six months were help. Uh, she wouldn't sleep more than half an hour at a time. Yeah, for the first six months, we were all very, very tired and... Very grumpy and grisly at each other, but we're on the other side of that now. She uh, she'll go down at seven and generally wake anywhere between nine thirty and eleven for another bottle, and then she will stay down until around about six six thirty. So we're able to get a little bit better sleep now. It's still not the best, but.
1: And once the kids are asleep, what do you get up to?
2: Yet again, it depends on what my wife's up to. Um, if she's just gotten home from you know, working nine hours, she's generally pretty tuckered out. We might go outside and have a glass of wine or a beer together, uh, decompress, have a chat about our day. My wife's boss is quite highly strung, uh, so she's generally got some pretty intriguing stories to tell around uh, her dealings with that boss in particular. So that's always a little bit of entertainment to laugh about those kind of things. Uh, And then we'll jump into bed and watch one of – The many shows that we have started together over the last year. Uh, We might get 15 to 20 minutes into that before we're falling asleep
0: and that's us done for the day. Good day, listener. Hope you're enjoying this hot issue of Everyday Parents Podcast audio issue. You can uh, can appear as a guest on the show by going to our website, everydayparentspod.com. From there, you can follow the link to our guest FAQ and application. We'd love to hear about your family and a day in your life.
1: We also really appreciate that you're our listener, but we would appreciate you more if you follow us on social media and or join our Patreon, where for $3 a month, you can receive video episodes of the show.
0: Back to Kookaburra in a Gum Tree. All right. Um, So yeah, at the end of the podcast, I ask everyone the same three questions. I'll give Mm -hmm. them to you all up front and you can take them in any order you wish. Mm -hmm. So uh, what would you say has been an example of a parenting win recently? What would you say has been an example of a parenting challenge? And then when you are not being a parent, what do you and your wife like to do to unwind other than have a beer on the back porch? Oh, parenting win. It's going to take a little bit of thought. (laughs) <laughs> oh no <laughs> <laughs> um,
2: I mean every day's different. different uh, I take the wins and the losses kind of hand in hand I, I don't put too much stock in celebrating or mourning wins or losses I just kind of see it as one kind of fluid okay. thing that happens you know just a river of experiences exactly yeah it's, because everything's ever changing and I'm still learning so much about myself and Uh, my autism and the whole unmasking thing and finding out who I am as a person and what my personality is and, uh, you know, dealing with Roman and his ever-changing personality. And then I've got Hendrix who she kind of flows between this incredibly smart and articulate little three-year-old who has a million questions about life and death and, you know, what happens after and my mother unfortunately passed away from breast cancer when I, in 2015. Uh, so it was before she met any of the kids, but we have pictures of her up and mm. my daughter asks about her daily and mm. you know, why doesn't Nan Nan come visit us and all of that. So that's quite a general topic of conversation in the house. Uh, it was one that I had a lot of trouble discussing at first, but is, uh, it, it's it's grown to be a, a special little moment between myself and Hendrix, We've discussed religion. We're not a religious household and I won't delve too far into that. We like to leave people to uh, believe in what they believe in. But I've explained to my daughter, you know, that there's billions of people in the world and they all believe in different kind of gods and uh, outcomes and afterlifes and everything like that. And once she's older, if she wants to explore her spirituality or faith, that's entirely up to her. We won't push her into it, nor will we pull her out of it. Uh, so I guess parenting wins is just the conversations that I am able to have with, with my kids and watch them grow into little humans every day. And, you know, I'll always, at the end of the day, worry if I've had a, a an especially rough day and I'm a little touched out or overstimulated and I've gotten a little bit grisly and grumpy uh, and I'll sit there and ponder whether I'm a, a good father or not and I'll worry that I'm, you know, going to screw them up when they become adults and they're going to have to be in therapy and whatnot i i take a lot of solace in knowing that the fact that i'm pondering those things and trying to workshop ways in which i can uh, improve and behave every day and show up for my family more it gives me a lot of
0: hope that i'm not quite as bad of a father as i sometimes worry i am yeah the sheer act of asking the question is probably a good indicator of self-awareness and Correct. it's probably a healthy healthy sign because I'll I'll do that same thing where I'm like probably being too hard on myself in this situation this is pretty good all things considered and yeah we go to
2: bed every night saying I love you and kisses and cuddles and we wake up every morning you know with smiles on our faces mate so at the end of the day that's that's a win in itself that's you know more than a lot of people can ask for. Uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I do consider
0: ourselves very, very lucky. So, I know you had said you had just begun a podcast. Uh, I was going to ask, what kind of hobbies or stuff do you do for yourself when you're not going as a parent? By assume that podcast is now part of part of that. Yeah, the podcast is definitely
2: the current hyperfixation, fixation, uh, the the dopamine hit that my ADHD requires. Nice. Um, apart apart from that, you know, if I'm not sleeping because of you know the fact that I do a 12 hour shift from 7 p.m till 7 a.m. It's a half hour drive each way. If I don't have the kids, uh, you know I'm either doing the podcast because I record with uh, guests all over the world. so I have to work around their schedules and the time differences. So there's a lot of planning around that and editing the podcast. Yeah, it's just I try to talk to my friends when I have a chance. Um, I'm lucky in that there's a little bit of downtime in my work. I'm able to watch a little bit of TV while I'm at work, providing the uh, the kids that I'm uh, looking after aren't acting up too much. But apart from that, I like playing a bit of PlayStation when I can. Um, I've just sunk a lot more hours into Hogwarts Legacy than I would care to admit. <laughs> yeah, it's I, I'm a pretty simple person. I'm not an outdoorsy person. Um, I am very much a homebody. I like to stay in my safe space and I don't like to stray too far from what's familiar to me.
1: What about your wife?
2: My wife, she is the social butterfly of the house. Generally, she, if she has any shifts at the brewery, um, she'll stay after her shift for some knockoffs. So she'll stay with her co workers, have, have a few drinks with them. Uh, it's literally like a three minute walk from our house. So if she has a few drinks and then a few more, she's able to walk home at least. Perfect. Uh, cool. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. She's been there around six months. Um, and before that, she was very much like me, very much a homebody. So. Her working a front of house and bar environment has really brought out that social side of her. Uh, so I, I really love that for her. That's filling her cup. Uh, and she's incredibly happy in the role that she's in. Uh, she's a workhorse. She lives to work. She has an incredible work ethic. That's where she finds the bulk of her happiness. If she doesn't know something about her role uh, or uh, something that she needs to perform or a task that, Is new to her she will research 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 and perfect it she likes to be the one that everyone counts on when needed this is her first time working in a brewery she's now the go-to person for pretty much everything in that place uh so yeah she finds a lot of happiness in that she has become quite the local celebrity um because she's uh much like me a bit of a tattooed scumbag she's got a couple of face tattoos and being that we live in a small country town, I think we may be the only ones here with uh, the tattoos and the piercings and the stretched ears and whatnot. So, you know, I walk into the hardware store and the owner of the hardware store will go, you have to be George's husband. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, it's, it's funny because they all know me as Carter. Uh, my, my first name's actually Matt, um, but I've been known as Carter my whole life. But all of them know me as Carter and they thought that was my first name. But then they've realized that my wife's last name is Carter, so I now have the nickname of Carter Carter throughout the town, which is pretty, <laughs> pretty cool.
0: <laughs> yeah, thank you so much for sharing a day in your life with us and sharing so much about your family. It was really a harrowing beginning to the podcast there. And I yeah, like
1: fascinating.
2: Yeah, oh, you're more than welcome. As I said, you know it, my story is worth being told. I'm out there advocating for anyone and everyone uh, that has had any sort of birth trauma or any form of mental health issues post-birth or even leading up to birth especially men i need more men guests there needs to be more representation in the mental health space and that yeah the conversation just just needs to be had i'm more than happy to put my hand up and break down those barriers and make some form of positive change
1: awesome thanks so much
2: no
0: worries thanks very much for having me guys That was Carter. I don't remember a lot of tattooed people when I was in Australia. He might be right.
1: Yeah, I actually almost kind of feel like in the U.S., like the smaller towns.
0: Our small town had a lot of tattooed people.
1: Yeah, I don't know. Maybe that's not actually a correlation.
0: Obviously, this is not a scientific study, but but there were no other tattooed people in Australia.
1: <laughs> um. Yeah, so another guest with three under the age of four and... I think I would have made you get a vasectomy long ago if our journey had paralleled theirs. But it's wonderful that...
0: His wife His wife sounds like a super soldier. Indestructible.
1: Though her children have tried.
0: Yeah. No, You listening at the beginning, you were right. I was like holding my breath towards the end of it because it just kind of kept going. It's like that scene in King Kong where they fall... Into the bug pit on the island, and it's just like twelve straight minutes of their situation deepening and worsening, and it was like that.
1: Yeah, I mean, just having a NICU baby is hard too. Like, you know, not being able to pick them up, care for them. I also did not know that the Ronald McDonald House was international. Um, they well, provide McDonald's housing. is
0: international, so.
1: Well, I did His know that.
0: Go with him. <laughs> Uh, Another thing I thought of, uh, he seemed like, and obviously with time removed, probably gained some knowledge about all this situation. But can you imagine having all of that shit dumped on you at like a time when there is no time to think or make a decision? So, like, all these, and they were all different medical situations. Like, almost every instance was like, oh, this is a different plate of shit here. And like, do you even, is there even a benefit knowing what's going on in that situation? Because I don't think you have any agency in making a decision. You're just kind of,
1: whew. It's one of those things where the only way out is through.
0: Well, it was really good to talk to him on the other side. That was pretty cool. Good day.